Good morning. How is everybody today? Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. Those that are uh, visiting with us and celebrating the 4th uh, in the mountains, we're glad to have you this morning. I know Pastor Trey's got some uh, special guests as he uh, brings the word for us this morning, so glad to have new friends with us. And for those online, we want to welcome you too. Just one quick uh, announcement real quick. We will be receiving a special offering at the end for New Beginnings um, Transitional Housing. So it's a local organization that um, provides transitional housing for uh, those that are in between to give them a safe, uh, warm, and uh, dry place to stay. So uh, we will do that. And so since we have a lot of guests with us today, um, if you want to, just take a minute and greet somebody you don't know and give them a, a friendly handshake and a friendly hello and uh, a welcome. So, good morning.
next song. Uh, Megan is going to speak to us a little bit about what she's been doing this summer. Just a little bit. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Megan. For those of you who don't know me, we've got a lot of new faces in, which is really cool. Really cool to see. And of course, I love seeing all your old faces too. So <laughs> I'm glad to be back for just, just today. Um, but anyway, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about why I disappear every summer, <laughs> because I'm sure some of you have been curious. But I work at this place called Camp Evergreen. It's in Clarksville, Georgia. It's across from, um, what's that lake called? Lake Burton. I forget it every time. But anyway, it's a Christian children's camp in the middle of the woods. <laughs> We're across from Moxon Creek State Park. And um, our motto is we are rooted in Christ, 
growing in faith and branching out in love. And so we have kids from all sorts of backgrounds and um, they're ages seven to 13-ish and then once they grow out of camper age, they get to actually become staff and it's a really cool program how we just, we keep, keep, keep them coming and then <laughs> it's really great. Um, so we have half of our sessions each summer are um, fully sponsored for kids who can't afford to go to camp. Um, and so we have one week of local campers from the Clarksville area, and they, they get to come for free. Um, their counselors reach out and give them paperwork, and then we pick them up and keep them at camp for a week. It's really awesome. And then we have two weeks um, for, our, for inner city Atlanta campers um, who also who are in some really troubled spots in life, and we um, bus them up here to camp and then keep them for a week and teach them all about God. It's really great. Um, and then so we have, those people are sponsored by donors, and some of that, some of their pay is supplemented by the paid camps. Um, and so, anyway, <laughs> I'm an assistant director there, and so I get to do a whole lot of boring stuff, but then also a whole lot of really fun, silly things like skits and we sing carols to the cabins for half Christmas. It's really silly, but it's all really fun. Um, but in everything that I get to do, um, it's ministering to these kids and these campers, which is really awesome. So I just wanted to share that with you. We've had 100 kids, more than 100 kids, accept Christ this summer so far. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's been really awesome. And so we have a whole other month coming up um, with even more kids than this past month. So I'm really excited. That's where I disappear to every year. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm glad to be back for at least today, and then I'll be back in August. But anyway, that's it. We're going to sing So Will I. So if you guys want to join us again and stand and sing with me, it's my voice is a little, you know, <laughs> allergies.
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the ways of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, bringing forth his fruit in due season. And whatsoever he doeth shall not wither but prosper. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Good morning. Man, it's so good to see you today, and I tell you what, I don't know who was sitting behind me on this entire row, but they ought to be praising worship leaders. I heard you singing. That was wonderful. Did y'all hear them singing? It's so good to see you today, and I want to ask you a question. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now, good. We've identified you. We know who you are. Today, I want to talk specifically to those who are not happy, and they know it. To those who are not happy, and they know it. So if you didn't clap your hands, better listen up. And I want to tell you something today that you may not be familiar with. It may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but it's true, and we're going to look at it in the Word. I believe that Jesus wants you to be happy. Amen? You must first understand that our idea of happiness oftentimes can be contaminated by wrong thinking, our idea of happiness can oftentimes lead us down pathways that yield emptiness and depression and empty us entirely. It'll oftentimes, our idea of happiness, cause us to act in ways that are contrary to God's Word. And on this pursuit of happiness, we become blinded by pleasure and our desire for more things. Oftentimes in our pursuit of happiness, we will jump from person to person, from addiction to addiction, from thing to thing. 
from hobby to hobby. And we will find in this pursuit of happiness that although we have searched long and hard, and although we have tried to find it, we will never find it. And we will always be wanting more. The cycle that the enemy will lead us into in this situation is a cycle, is a vicious cycle that leads to emptiness and exhaustion where the enemy will tell you that there is something there for you that will be good and it will exhaust you and drain you and you'll keep coming back for more and more. And I just believe in my heart today that some of us are feeling a little exhausted Some of us have come into church today. We can barely catch our breath. We can barely uh, feel human today. We feel numb. We feel exhausted. We feel depressed. We feel empty. And you've been realizing that after all that time searching after what you thought would make you happy, you realize that you were never happy at all. And all that you are today is empty and tired. But I have some good news. Somebody say amen. I have some news for you today that can flip the script. I have some news for you today that straight out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, He gives us a different way to live that will produce a different kind of result. It's an upside-down look at how we ought to live today. He tells us, if you want to be happy, be a peacemaker. If you want to be happy, be a meek person. If you want to be happy, be poor in spirit. That don't make sense. We want to exalt ourselves. We want to go after our dreams. We want to be happy in the world. Jesus says he brings a new way to bring us happiness, and we've got to trust him there. And this is the kind of happiness that lasts. This is the kind of happiness that won't fade away. This is the kind of happiness that will not exhaust and empty you. It will fill you up, and it will keep you full. Amen? The happiness that comes from Jesus, the happiness that he promises, is not like the world's. You don't have to chase it down. You don't have to earn it. He just wants you to be happy. He wants you to enjoy Him. Amen? We say that, and I believe in our motto, in our vision statement every Sunday. To enjoy the Lord. To enjoy and behold the beauty of the Lord. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be free from the cycles of looking for more things to numb your pain. He wants you to be happy from addictions to pleasures that leave you empty. He has a better way. We need to listen to what God says. I want to step away from this for just a second and tell you that the Beatitudes, what we're talking about today, are a collection of eight characteristics that you know, define who we are, what we are, how we should live, how we should operate, and what it should look like to the world. And Jesus gave these, and he said, Blessed are the fill in the blank. He says it eight times. And he goes on, and he talks about the salt of the earth. It's wonderful. But that word for blessed comes from the Latin, or the Greek, beatus. It means happy. It means blessed, enviably blessed. Other people are going to want what you have, kind of blessed. Happiness, true, biblical, godly Happiness that comes from living God's way. That comes from living for the Lord. You're going to get happy when you serve the Lord. Yeah, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials and tribulations. It ain't always going to be easy. But you'll always have the peace and the joy and the comfort of the Lord. And that's going to make you happy today. And so today we look for God's word and the proper prescription for the happy, blessed life. 
And together we must resolve to do whatever he says. Especially if you're not happy and you know it. You've been searching after the things of the world. And God is now speaking to your heart and saying the title of the message. Do you need a beatitude adjustment? Part two. Part two. Let's stand as we read God's word together. If you would stand one more time. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, going to verse 12. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying... I want you to imagine the beauty of this moment. Doug, could you put up that picture of me in the Mount of Beatitudes? I know it's going to mess you up. There it is. Back in 2019, Juliana and I got to go to the Holy Land. And the pastor that was leading the trip said, any preacher that goes can get to preach where they want to. In any place. Jerusalem, downtown, Sea of Galilee, wherever you want. And I said the Mount of Beatitudes. It's one of my favorite scriptures. As a matter of fact, the Bible that my wife's holding in that very section, be careful. There's dirt in there. I rubbed it in the dirt. But that's, uh, it's still there. It's my Bible. Praise the Lord. It's very sacred to me. It's very special. On this mountain, in this spot, in this acoustical location, Jesus gave the greatest sermon that's ever been articulated in the world, the Sermon on the Mount, straight from the lips of the Creator, Jesus Christ, God's own Son. And He says to us in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. God, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. Let it multiply in our hearts and let us then go forth with your word stowed away so that we can spread it and live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you need a beatitude adjustment, a kingdom mindset for an earthly mission? About two months ago, I preached the first sermon of this series. Didn't know I was going to be able to finish it. We tackled five beatitudes, five attitudes that we need to strive to live under. Jesus gave to us. And we're going to tackle those last three in no particular order. Okay. Point number one. I believe God's calling us to live with a holy attitude. A holy attitude. In verse number 8, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if you want to get a clear, unadulterated picture of the Lord today, and you want to see Him in all of His glory, and you want to see Him more and more, then you need to get rid of all distractions. You need to get rid of the things that are causing you to have double vision. You need to get rid of the things that are causing you to have blurred vision. The things that would take your focus off of Christ. The things that would 
carelessly drag you away and recklessly drag you away from the throne of God, those things need to go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Clarence Jordan said this, When we attempt to live a double life spiritually, that is to appear pure on the outside, but not pure in the heart, we are anything but blessed. Our conflicting loyalties make us confused and tense. And having to keep our eyes on two masters at once makes us cross-eyed. Our vision is so blurred that neither image is clear. And I believe that a lot of times the reason we're not happy in the Lord, the reason we're having a hard time is because we're focused on too many things. We have a multiplicity of distractions before us and we can't focus on the Savior because we've allowed some things to crowd in on the seat of the Master in our mind. We're trying to be a vessel. Y'all might want to write this down. It's pretty good. I'm just going to warn you. Kids that we don't know who you are all over the house today, where'd you come from? Write this down, okay? You're trying to be a vessel, but you've got blurred vision. How are you going to be used by God if you're focused on something that ain't God? If you're allowing so easily your focus to be taken away from the thing that really matters. 1 Kings 18, 21, the Bible says, Elijah says to the prophets, How long will you stand between two opinions? This is the great riding the fence scripture. And I'll never forget it. My dad preached a revival in like 2013, and he preached on that, and I never forgot it. How long are you going to straddle the fence? On the Lord. You're trying to be a vessel, but you've got blurred vision. We find ourselves unable to truly appreciate the beauty of the Lord and His goodness because we refuse to look Him straight in the face. We're afraid to go home and worship the Lord in a vulnerable state. We want to read our Jesus Calling devotion, light a candle, have some apple cider, or some Russian tea. Thank you, Debbie. We're about out of that, by the way. You want to have your little 15 minutes, and it's very quiet and awesome, and it's just very regular, and it doesn't excite you anymore, and God's calling you to look Him straight in the face. Because a blessing is being able to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen? What are you focused on today? I remember I was in 8th grade. Up until my 8th grade year, first of all, 7th grade was my best year. But when I got to 8th grade, some things started happening. And I was in math class one day. I mean, we got halfway through the year and everything was fine. And I was sitting three chairs back. I was probably from here to Steve, Steve over here, away from the board. A relatively good distance. And all of a sudden, one day, I went in there and I couldn't see the board. I just could not see. And I thought, well, those markers are bad, or maybe I need to move up. Maybe I'm having some sinus issues that early in my life, okay? And so I moved up to the front of the room, and I still couldn't see the board all of a sudden. The day before, I could see it, and today, I can't see it. So I talked to my teacher, and she tells me, no, I'm writing big enough. Everybody else can see. You're the problem. Go get your eyes checked. She was later fired. No, I'm just playing. She's actually doing pretty well. They promoted her to high school. Okay. So I went to the eye doctor, never had been before, and it turns out I had astigmatism. 
How many of y'all have astigmatism? Oh, it's a whole crowd. Man, you can't even focus on anything today. Where's your glasses? They told me I needed glasses. And uh, so anyway, we went back home, and this was back in the Stone Age of about 2008 or 9, okay? Back when they had to ship them off and it didn't come right away, before Amazon got good and eBay got good and all this stuff. And so I was waiting on my glasses, and me and this other kid, we got picked to go to honors course out in North Carolina, and we were going to do something. And uh, on the bus home, he had glasses. And I said, I'm getting some glasses. Let me try those on. And so I tried on his glasses. I put them on, and all of a sudden, I could see as clear as anything I'd ever seen. I could see water droplets. I could see dirt on people's clothes. I, was, I didn't even have time to make fun of them or nothing because I couldn't even see it. Okay, that's you know, I was trying to get you to laugh to lighten you up, but I want to tell you this today. I didn't give that kid his glasses back till we got back home. That's the truth. And he was okay with that because I was having a good time in the Lord. I was happy because I could finally see like I never had before. And I'll never forget getting those first pair of glasses. They were orange on the side, go Vols. And I put them on and I've never looked back. As soon as I put them on, my life changed forever. I want to tell you today that when you get a glimpse of the Savior... It'll change your life forever. Even if you're saved today, God's calling you to go deeper in your faith. He's calling you to be holy as He is holy. He's calling you to, to live for Him. You're trying to be a vessel, but you've got blurred vision, and you are searching for happiness, but you can't even see what you're trying to see because you're holding on to your sin. You've got blurred vision, many things that's got your attention all over the, the house today. Let Jesus show you what you've been missing out on. I want to put up another picture for you. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Juliana and I got to have some time away. We much needed. And we got to go and visit. Um, that's it. I can't see. I got my glasses on, okay? We got to sit down. There was this big arcade. And I'm talking like a big arcade. Bigger than this sanctuary. I mean, it just kept going and going. And so we just got like $25 worth on a little card, and we just started swapping and going, and, and there was this virtual reality thing. Again, back in 2008, they put a phone on your face and put it this close, and they said that was virtual reality, okay? This is the real deal. We strapped these things on our head, and I, I mean, we, it took our stomach. We thought we were falling off a cliff. It was the craziest thing in the world. I want to tell you something today. That's exactly what the enemy does. He puts things in front of you and lies to you, and they feel real, and he tells you you're going down. He tells you God will never forgive you. He tells you nobody loves you. He tells you you'll always be depressed. He tells you that this, and he tells you this, and it feels real. But you can't see reality because you've not got your glasses on spiritually. When you're looking at the face of the Savior and that's all you see, that's all you need, and it clears things up. You might say, well, Pastor Trey, I want to be able to see God like this. I want to go deeper in my faith. I want to know God in a greater way, but I'm struggling to walk in purity, and I need help. I'm struggling. I'm not pure in heart. I've got some sin in my life. It's not good, and I need some help. I'm going to tell you some scripture today. Jesus has the power to cleanse you, and he's the only one that can do it. Amen? And he will if you ask him to. Amen? 1 John 1, 9. Does anybody know it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. 
from all unrighteousness. If you have a distraction in your life today, a sin that's holding you back, taking your focus off of Christ, you've been listening to the devil, looking at things that are not real, ask God to forgive you, he'll do it. Amen? Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and to do them. Those who are pure in heart will see God. And if you ask God to forgive you, he'll clean you up and cause you to walk what does it say? In my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. If you're struggling today to walk in purity, if you're struggling to stay with the Lord, fix your eyes on Him. Ask for forgiveness and prepare to see the Lord really move in your life in a powerful way. Prepare, him, uh, prepare to see Him purge all of the distractions, all of the lust out of your heart. He can do it. Do you believe it today? You don't believe it. It's like Santa Claus, okay? You don't believe it. Point number one, you've got to have a holy attitude. If you've not started taking notes yet, now would be a good time because you're getting a lot out of this, I can tell. Point number two, a humble attitude. A humble attitude. Verse number five. The Bible says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God's not going to leave you hanging when you choose to be humble like he asked you to. He's in control. And we want to put up that next picture. Uh, back when I was pastoring, we had this great revival. It was a wonderful time. People were getting saved. And as a matter of fact, at this revival just went on and on. We kept having to add days. And I was running out of preachers. They were preachers that couldn't come anymore. And so I, had, I knew this guy. His name was Dr. Lloyd Fish. Don't know, probably don't know him. He's up from the mountains of North Carolina. And I, I remembered him, and I gave him a call. He lived up in Silva, North Carolina. And he said, I will come down tonight. I will preach. And it was a blessed time in the Lord. It was a wonderful time. Julie was there, I guess. right? And she remembers. This is him preaching, Dr. Lloyd Fish. And I knew him from about five or six years before this. And a church about this size with a balcony up where I'm from, we had a community revival. I was probably old enough to drive. I was a sophomore or a junior. And they had this community revival. All of the big churches and all the little churches came together, and they put on this revival, and they all came in. Their preachers and their pastors got to preach every night. It was a great time. Thousands of people came. Okay, Good time in the Lord. And I was sitting probably right over on this side, right about where that guy in the blue shirt sitting, kind of towards the middle. Just trying to get lost in the crowd. Didn't really know any, a whole lot of people. Just wanted to be there. And I wanted to see what was going on. I heard good things. And I was just there to show up. And I sat down next to this guy. Didn't have a girlfriend. Didn't have a wife or nothing. Was just sitting there by myself. Okay. And so I was sitting there. And this guy was sitting there too. He just had the sports coat on. He just was real nice. And he just kind of started talking to me. Nobody knew him. Nobody was talking to him. He just sat there by himself. And he just started, he, he showed me, I wrote a book. 
And I, he, he signed it right there for me. I'm going to give you this book. It's going to help you. I went home that night and I read the whole thing. And it was really blessed me. And I came in the next day and I sat beside him. Nobody was sitting there with him. Nobody knew who he was. It was just, just a guy pouring into my heart. And the third night, we sat together again. But this time, something was different. After the singing was over, this guy just literally got up out of nowhere and walked straight up and started preaching. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Didn't know nothing about it. Didn't know nothing about it. How can you sit next to a, a famous big-time preacher for three nights and him not talk about how big his congregation is or how wonderful everything's going and all this stuff, bragging on self, bragging on self. He sat there and poured into a young preacher for three nights in a row, blessing my heart, signing books, trying to pour into my life, and got up and preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard. And as a matter of fact, at that same revival, the scripture I read as I walked up here was the same scripture they read that night as he walked up. And when I was trying to find an example of a meek person, somebody, it's not just humility. There's a different aspect to it. When I was thinking of this guy, I thought this is, this is an example of meekness. Somebody that's just been willing to be used by God and do exactly what he says to do and not make it all about yourself. Amen? To be meek, we're going to go ahead just a little bit. and It says, comes from the word pros. It's a purposeful restraint to be meek. Purposeful. On purpose to keep one's emotions in check. It's a form of self-control. It's also saying, I'm going to not do that. I'm going to hold back from doing that because I know the Lord's taking care of things. And I don't have to always speak. The meek person, listen, will keep their tongue under control, refusing to gossip about another individual. They're going to say, I could do it. It's true. It'd probably make me look good, but I'm not going to do it. The meek person is a meek husband. They never use their strength to intimidate or manipulate or hurt their wife. Is just don't. Harnessed, restrained, meek. The meek father does not crush the spirit of his child simply because he can, trying to get a rise out of him. He's always careful to use self-control. The meek person is one of humility and self-control. A purposeful restraint. But this is the one that people so often misunderstand. They think that meekness implies passivity. It means that you're pushed around. It means that you're a doormat. It means that you're a dunce. No. Meekness paints the picture of a strong and trained stallion who has the ability to run free, who has the ability to buck his rider and run off and nobody ever catch him. But this stallion has been trained and harnessed and is willing to stand there and do the job. Amen? So often, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And being a meek person simply says, God's in control. He has harnessed me. I'm going to do whatever He says to do. I could go out and gossip. I could go out and be abusive. I could go out and run. I could do this. I could do that. But I'm not because Jesus says. And Jesus is holding me. And Jesus is helping me. Amen. It's not weakness. As a matter of fact, there's two examples of great men in the Bible who were meek. The Bible describes Moses as meek. A man who took a great amount of people across a sea with God's help and then led them over into the depth. He was meek, the Bible says. The Bible also says that Jesus was meek. 
He stood there as they questioned him, mocking him. What does the Bible say? He spoke not a word. You don't always have to respond. Amen? You write that down too. You don't always have to respond. God's calling you to be meek. He's not asking you to open your mouth. He's not asking you to open your mouth to every complaint. He's not asking you to always speak back. He's asking you to be restrained in the Holy Spirit, to be harnessed in God. Amen? When we look at an example of meekness, I, I, I really like this. This is going to help you. John chapter 2. I love the book of John. John chapter 2, we've got Jesus' first miracle. John chapter 3, we've got the religious elite, Nicodemus, coming to Jesus in the night. Then in John chapter 4, we've got the woman at the well coming to Jesus in broad daylight as a sinner. John chapter 5, Jesus heals the man at the pool. His healing ministry. This is wonderful. It's all stories. John is so good. John chapter 2, they're at a wedding. They're at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus is there. His ministry has not really started, essentially. And he even says as, as much. But I'll never forget, and I'll always remember, what Mary said to the servants who brought in the water pitchers that day. They brought in the water pitchers, the big cisterns, the big things of water that were turned into wine. Jesus performs his first miracle. The first miracle of Jesus, the inauguration of his miracle ministry, comes about after Mary says, just do all that he says to do. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you say to do? That's a meek person. Amen? Need some help this morning? That's a meek person. It's being able to say, I'm willing to do whatever God says I, I should do. I'm willing to do whatever he says. I will go and do this, this, this. Do whatever he says to do. The meek are willing to be harnessed by the Holy Spirit. And re they respond well to the command do all that he says to do. Listen to this quote, and we'll move on to our last point. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to his word, to his rod, who follow his directions, comply with his designs, and are gentle towards all men. The meek can bear provocation without being inflamed by it. That's hard, isn't it? How many of y'all like that? And somebody does something to you, and you don't, yet God says, hold off. How many of you have wrote something on Facebook to respond to somebody, and the Holy Spirit steps in and says, after you've just sit, spent 35 minutes typing this up and praying about it, the Holy Spirit says, you can't send that. How many of y'all have ever done that? I do it like at least twice a day. At least twice a day. At least God says, you can't do that. The meek are either silent or return a soft answer. The meek can be cool when others are hot. The meek are rarely and hardly provoked, but they are easily and quickly pacified. The meek would rather forgive 20 injuries than revenge one. They have the rule of their own spirits. The meek ones are represented as happy even in this world. The Bible teaches it's a happy thing to be meek. And when you do that, contrary to your flesh, it's going to bless you. Jesus said they're blessed that do that. Jesus said, I'm looking out for those who do that. They're going to inherit the land. I'm going to have the final say. Amen? Exodus 14, 14. You know, you know basically says, Don't, you're not going to fight this. I'm fighting it. 
Amen? Jesus is looking out for you. And the last thing, really, on meekness is this. If you spend your time, remember, a blurred vision can't be a good vessel. Listen, if you spend your time trying to think about getting revenge on somebody, if you spend all your time thinking about how somebody did you wrong and how you're going to get back at them, I told the youth about something last week. Lord bless, I love to be open with them. Not too open, but just enough. About Pastor Trey almost losing his cool out here on the road the other day. But I will tell you this. If we spend all our time thinking about how to get back and how to do something and how to take control, we're wasting our time. We're not a good soldier that he can use in that moment. We need to let him handle all that. Amen? Then we've got more time to serve the Lord. Point number three. A hungry attitude. A hungry attitude. Verse 6, the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Some of y'all may be wondering, why is he saying blessed? Why isn't he saying blessed? I want to tell you, because that's the way I grew up saying it. Okay? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to ask you today, do you have a raging starvation-style hunger for the Lord? Do you have the kind of hunger for God today that you had when you first got saved and it was passionate and it was real and you were enthused and you were just entranced and all you could do was think about reading your Bible and praying and coming to every church service. By the way, we're having prayer tonight. Chad ain't here. I'm going to lead it. Okay? And y'all can come. Let's pray. Okay? I need some new faces in here tonight. That's funny. Okay? Are you, are you starvation hunger Are you in a starvation hunger for the Lord? Are you thirsty for Him like you really ought to be? I'm going to show the next picture, Doug. This is me and Miss Julie on our second date. It's true. It's true. July the 30th, 2015. Okay, Both sophomores in college. And I drove out there five hours to Burlington, North Carolina. To meet her. She only drove an hour. It's all right. <laughs> Pulled right off of 75 and 85 or 40, 85, whatever it is. Got onto this side strip right there next to Elon University. And it was from an 85 mile an hour zone immediately to a 40 mile an hour zone. Got a ticket. Got a ticket. As soon as I picked her up, it was a terrible day. But it was a good day. It was a good day. I want to tell you something. How many of you sitting here today can think back and remember when you first met your wife or your husband. When you first met that special someone and you knew that it was real and you knew that it was going to work and you knew that special things were happening and it was all you could do. Laura and Justin, I see you. Dr. Dallas, Mrs. Dallas, I see you. It was all you could do. You were waiting there by the, by the plug-in phone because there weren't cell phones yet, was there, Laura? Well, there were? Okay. I'm fired. I'm fired. (laughs) Just playing. You were waiting there by the cell phone or you were waiting there by the plug-in phone. Some of y'all were waiting by the rotary phone. You were just waiting for somebody to call you. You 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 couldn't see who it was, but you picked up real quick and you were excited. You were waiting on their text message. And for the young folks today, you're waiting to see them read that message and pop up with that bubble. You were excited about that. You were excited. 
It was all you could do to think about the end of the week when you could go have some time. You could go on a date, spend some time together, drive five hours, spend a, an evening together, and, and just have a good time with each other. And that, that was an exciting time for you. But then, you got married, okay? And then about, what have we been married? About five years? About five years in. Okay, no, it's really good. We're together all the time. We love each other. I love my wife. Everything's great. I'll tell you something, we always grow in, in grace there. But... How many of y'all have ever felt this? You know, you love that person, it was great and wonderful, and then you really got to know them, spend a lot of time with them, and now sometimes you can just drive to the beach and not even talk to each other, okay? You're so familiar, you know, with familiarity breeds contempt. With familiarity breeds contempt. Amen? So, that hunger and that thirst and that passion fades away. And we've got to do intentional things to make sure to keep that fire alive. The puppy love is gone. We've got to make sure we're doing all we can. To stay hungry and to stay thirsty. Have you lost your hunger today for God? Have you been excited but now you're exhausted? Have you been zealous but now you're empty? Have you been passionate, but now you feel nothing? You're numb. You're wondering, where's my passion? Why am I not excited to open my Bible anymore? Why am I not excited to pray? Why do I dread coming to Sunday school? Why, do, why this? Why that? And I dare say today that some of us are starving to death, and we don't even know it, because we've got our eyes on many masters. We're so full of ourselves, we've neglected our first love. We've neglected our first love. The thing that really whipped us, and I've got that next picture, I don't know if he showed it or not. There it is. Proposals. Within a year, I was slain, okay? She had to move out here, and uh, she lived with our grandparents, um, my grandparents, for about three years until we were able to graduate and get married. And I knew when she was driving out here all the way from Raleigh that there was no turning back. That was, that was it. Somebody moves, you've got you to be careful. I want to look at somebody in the Bible. I want to look, speaking of wives, I want to look at someone in the Bible that had everything. Someone in the Bible, and you want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, even as I'm talking about this, you can be looking through it because it's just really good. And by really good, I mean sad, okay? It's sad and depressing. And it will shake you, but it's good. Solomon literally had everything. He was a man that was the son of a king, destined for the throne, and would eventually rise to the throne. But he was also a man that struggled with sadness. He struggled with his mortality. He struggled with thinking about death. He struggled with money. And he just asked himself the question, I just want to be happy. What, what is it going to take to make me happy. I'm the son of a king. I'm living in royalty. I'm still not happy. And so he said to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become the king. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to go to that next level. I'm going to do that next thing. And then I'll be happy. How many of y'all have ever been there? Still weren't happy. Still depressed. Still carrying the baggage you had. Okay? So he gets to become the king and he says, you know what? I'm still. I hear you flipping. That's good through Ecclesiastes. Get passionate, people. And he was just... Still sad. So he said, you know what? Maybe it's relationships I need. So I'm going to surround myself with party animals. 
and I'm going to go live in debauchery or debauchery. And I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm going to, he said, I'm going to get drunk all the time. I'm going to party. I'm going to have a good time and feel good. And I'm going to do all these things. And then I'll be happy. And so he married 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. And that's in the Bible. And he still woke up unhappy. Imagine that. And so he said, it's not the job that makes me happy. And it's not the relationships. It's not the lifestyle that makes me happy. What in the world can make me happy? He tried it all. And he was still miserable. The lifestyle didn't help him. The people didn't help him. His job didn't help him. And I think a lot of us today are kind of like King Solomon. We've tried it all, but we're still not happy. We're still not blessed like Jesus says we can be. We're still not happy like Jesus says we can be. We still feel empty, and I'll tell you why. We have been feeding on the wrong stuff. We are so hungry and so thirsty, but yet we drink and eat the things that leave us completely empty. And the deceitful virtual reality style thing comes about where it's not real. We feel, we feel like we're getting filled up, but we're actually being emptied. And when, when we consummate that lifestyle and that sin, we still feel the emptiness. And then we go even further into wickedness, into sin, forgetting about God. We've been feeding on the wrong stuff. We're not hungry and thirsty like we should be. We're still not happy. And we carry it around like baggage. We carry these things, these distractions we talked about earlier. We carry, somebody walked in this morning, Julie was carrying this in while I was parking the car and they said she's leaving after church today. She's packing up. But we carry around this baggage in our life. It weighs us down. It's all of this food and drink that never fills us up. It's all of these distractions that we look at, that we think about, that we live in, that never truly bring us satisfaction. It's all these things, and we carry them and we walk towards the cross, but we've got all this baggage still. We've got all this stuff we're carrying around. Now, I want to take a look for just one second at what I've got in my suitcase today. I used to be able to bend down here and just open this thing. Lust. Do you know that one thing that people don't talk about, but it's destroying lives all around this church today, is lust. Do you know that? That's how affairs happen. That's how pornography happens. That's how people get broken. That's how shame is a lot of times introduced into a young man's life, to lust. And we carry this shame around and we like to hide it. How are you doing? Good to see you all today. I'm pretty good. How are you? How's your mom? How's your dad? We're carrying this around. And you know what? It's very heavy. It's extremely heavy. And Jesus Christ says, you're eating on that. You're feeding on that. You're distracted by that. And it's dragging you down. It's causing you to live in a fake world. We still carry it around. And then, still yet, is the box that holds the most people, most likely, is unforgiveness. Because they tried to move the organ. Okay? You know what I'm talking about. They tried to move that organ. And I don't like it. Okay? You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Don't get off your high horse here. Okay? 
Somebody did something wrong to you about three years ago, looked at you wrong, didn't talk to you for you, you still hold it against them. Jesus says, if, you're going to, if I'm going to forgive you, you ought to forgive others. If you don't forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. That's what the Bible says, amen? That's tough, but it's heavy, and it holds us back, and it holds us down. And if you've got anything against anybody today in the house of God, you ought to go to them after church today, and you ought to just make it right. Amen? The Bible speaks about a ministry of reconciliation. That it's damaging to the body when there's disgruntled people in there not dealing with things. And if there's anybody you've got an alt against, it's heavy and it's holding the church back and it's holding you back and you might as well get into right fellowship because God is on reconciliation turf today. Amen? Oh man, it's, it's not even done yet. It's that guilt because we know what we've done. And we know how we lived. And we know that sin we committed. We know how we hurt that person. And we're sad about it. We're sorry about it. We feel really disgusted with ourselves. And Satan comes to us even after we ask for forgiveness time after time after time. And he comes and he says, you're no good. If you were saved, you wouldn't have done it. You're never going to get forgiveness. God would never forgive you, he says. And even if you believe you're forgiven today, you still wake up and think about that thing you did. And it is weighing you down. It is so heavy. If you could just see yourself the way that God sees you without this, if you could drop that today and let it fall at the foot of the cross, you would see yourself lighten up. And guess what, friends? You would be happy in the Lord. You would be blessed in the Lord today if you would get rid of that. And today I'm going to talk to you about one thing. It's another thing we don't like to say. It's another thing that we don't like to talk about. Those, those addictions today. Those addictions rule your life. Really, we should have brought this box out on the first point because this is the distraction that keeps you from being a vessel. This is the thing that causes your vision to be blurred. What is it for you today? God just spoke it right in your heart even as I said that. He, you know exactly what it is. You know what you're struggling with. You know what you're, you're bound with. You know what you're chained up by. And this chain is wrapped around you. And it's caused you to act ugly and look ugly and, and, and talk ugly. And it, it's just completely. And Jesus wants to come into your life and break your chains. And He wants to take that addiction. And He wants to break it with the power of Christ. And cause you to live in freedom. To be happy. You think you're happy with that. You think that lust is making you happy. You think that unforgiveness is causing you to have a sense of self-righteousness. Somebody moved the organ, you're sad about it. Get over it. Okay, Time to forgive them. Organs are not coming back. Neither are choir robes. They're just not. Okay? They're just not. All right? It's just time to move on. You don't need any of this stuff. Everybody say Amen. All you need is Jesus. Our hunger for Jesus causes us to throw down these fictitious snacks, all the lies of the world, so that we can sit down at His table and truly feast on the things that fill us up and cause us to be full. Amen? John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. 
I want to ask you today, as we close, do you need this water? Are you as hungry for God as you need to be? As you used to be? I want to tell you the truth today. Not only does God want to see you get as passionate about Him as you used to be, He wants to take you even further. Right, Michael? He wants you to grow in grace. He wants to sanctify you and cause you to take that next step after next step after next step, growing, get more happy in your faith. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I've got trials and setbacks, but I've got the joy and the peace of the Lord. My chains have been broken. I don't have anything against anybody. I'm going to hold it back. I'm going to let this guilt slide away at the precious name of Jesus. I am forgiven and cleansed. These addictions go away. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. But if you're not blessed today, if you're not living in the Beatitudes, if you're not pure in heart today and you know it, you're struggling, you want God to help you. If you're not hungry like you used to be, and you know that's not healthy and you need to be, and you know that you're really not meek because you're not, then you need a Beatitude adjustment. Why don't you just come down and pray today? Why don't you just go to whoever it is and just make it right? It's going to help you. Oh, there's going to be a weight lifted off of you. This church will explode and, and, and the ministry of reconciliation will take place. What is it in your life today that God's calling you to just deal with and move on? Do you need a beatitude adjustment? This morning, I'm going to be down here. I'll stand. We'll pray. And, and you know, if you come down... Uh, we're not all going to think you have a lust problem, okay? You may be having some other things. I get it. But if you're feeling led to come down and pray, this altar's open. If you need to come lift up one of these boxes and just throw it down and let the Lord deliver you, then that's what you need to do. If you need to walk over to the person that moved the organ and talk to him for just a second, then that's what you need to do. Let the Lord lead you. But don't leave without making the adjustment in your life that you need to make. As they come to prepare a song, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that today we don't have to come into church and leave the same way. We can come into this place today and, and have problems dealt with that have been unearthed by the Holy Spirit that we didn't even know we were struggling with, things that we didn't even know needed dealt with. And God, we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit to move in such a mighty way that would cause us to just turn to you. We just need to turn to you and look to the cross. The cross causes us to drop our baggage, breaks all of our chains, draws us into purity and holiness, draws us into a deeper hunger for you. Today, let us rise, praise you, and make it right with the proper adjustments. In Jesus' name, amen.
Sweet.